Chapter 17 To Homelessness What a hitherto unknown stillness enveloped me now, brother, as I again entered the house after stationing my people, each man at his post. That I didn't hear the voices of my wives, it wasn't that alone, it was also that I heard their voices going out of the gate, away into the distance. It was that there was no possibility of suddenly hearing out of any corner those scolding tones growing gradually shriller and shriller until they finally united, or rather became disunited, in one cacophonous brawl duet. It was that which lent to my house an air of unspeakable quiet, which as yet I could hardly bring myself to believe in. As I stood there in my palace, surrounded by its beautifully laid-out parks, seemed to be more splendid than ever before and I trembled at the thought that all this magnificence was to be utterly destroyed within a few hours by the infamous band of robbers. Fear for my own life troubled me far less than the cruel conviction that these well-cared-for avenues of trees would be laid waste, these artistically hewn marble pillars hurled down, and that all this, the building up of which had cost me so much thought and such tedious effort, whose completion had filled me with so much joy, would be a heap of ruins, when the sun rose again, for only too well did I know the traces left by Angulimala. There was, however, no more for me to do now but wait, and it was still yet several hours before midnight. I had for years been living in a ceaseless round of business and pleasure. Never a moment had I taken and wished to come to myself. And as I sat there with nothing to do, alone in a room, opening into the pillared hall on the one side and into the garden on the other, in the midst of all the death-like stillness of the palace, I lived through the first hours, in a sense, since my earliest youth, which entirely belonged to me. My suddenly unfettered thoughts began to focus for the first time upon myself. My whole life passed in review before me, and looking upon it as a stranger might have done, I could find no pleasure whatsoever in the sight. These reflections I interrupted a couple of times to make a round through the house, courtyard and garden, and thus assure myself that my men were on the watch. As I stepped out for the third or fourth time from between the pillars, my eyes, trained upon many a caravan journey, at once told me that from the position of the stars and constellations that it was but half an hour to midnight. I hastily went the rounds again and exhorted my people to be keenly on the alert. I myself felt the blood hammering in every vein, and my throat seemed to contract from the anxiety and the strain. Going back to my room, I sat down as before, but no thoughts would come. I felt a heavy pressure on my breast, and soon it seemed to me as though I should suffocate. I sprang up and went out between the pillars to inhale the cool night air. As I did so, my cheek was softly fanned by what seemed to be a passing wave of air, and immediately thereafter the hoot of an owl sounded in the stillness. At the same moment, a strong odour of the blossoms of the night lotus was wafted towards me from the garden ponds. I had raised my eyes in order to calculate once more for the hour from the stars, when, there it was, I beheld across the deep blue expanse of the heavens, between the black treetops, the softly glowing radiance of the Milky Way. The Heavenly Ganga I murmured involuntarily, and in a moment it was as if the pressure on my breast were loosening, were rising in a warm wave within me, to pour out in a stream of hot tears from my eyes. 
It's true that I had, a few hours earlier, when my whole life passed in review before me, thought of varsity and the brief season of my love, but then only as of something distant and strange that seemed to be no more than a foolish dream. Now, however, I no longer thought of it at all. I lived it again. I was all at once the self of the past and the self of the present, and with genuine horror did I become aware of all the difference. At that time I possessed nothing except myself and my love, and these, were not these inseparable? Now, oh, what did I not possess now? Wives and children, elephants, horses, cattle, draught oxen, servants and slaves, richly filled warehouses, gold and jewels, a pleasure park and a palace, the possession of which my fellow citizens envied me. But where was I? As in some blighted fruit the kernel had dried up, disappeared, and everything had turned to empty shell. Like one awakening, I looked around me. The extensive and beautifully timbered park, lifting its dark treetops against the night sky, sown with myriads of stars and threaded by the Milky Way, and the proud hall where the alabaster lamps glowed between the pillars, these suddenly appeared to me in quite a new light. Hostile and threatening, they surrounded me like magnificently glistening vampires, which had already drained almost the whole of my heart's blood, and were now gaping greedily for the enjoyment of the last drops, after which there would remain nothing but the withered corpse of an abortive human life. A distant and undefinable noise, murmurs of footsteps as it seemed to me, caused me to start up. Unsheathing my sword, I sprang down a couple of steps and there stood still to listen. The robbers? But no, everything was silent. Everything remained silent. Far and wide, nothing moved. It was only one of those unfathomable sounds which belonged to the stillness of the night, one of those which so often by the watchfires of the caravans had caused me to spring to my feet. Outside, there was nothing. But what was that within me? This was no longer terror which made my blood beat in my temples, nor yet the courage of despair. No, it was exultant jubilation. Welcome, you robbers. Come, Mangulimala. Lay it all to waste. Reduce it to ashes. These are my deadliest enemies whom you destroy. That which would crush me, you take away. Here, here to me. Immerse your swords in my blood. It is my bitterest enemy you pierce, this body devoted to sensuality, given over to gluttony. It is my saddest possession, this life which you deprive me of. Welcome, robbers, good friends, old comrades. It could not be long now. Midnight was past, and with what joy did I look forward to the combat. Angulimala would seek me. I wished to see whether he would be able this time also to strike my sword out of my hand. Oh, how sweet that would be, to die after I had pierced him to the heart, him to whom alone all my misfortune was due. It cannot be long now. How often I repeated that comfort to myself as hour passed hour that night. Now, at last! No. It was a rustling in the treetops, which died away in the distance, to rise again as before. It sounded as though a great shaggy animal had shaken itself. Again and again it was repeated, and then there sounded the shrill cry of some bird. Were not these the signs of approaching day? Fear made me cold. Was it possible that I was to be disappointed? Yes, 
I trembled now at the thought that, after all, the robbers might not come. How closely within my reach the end had appeared to be, a short exciting fight and then death, scarcely felt. Nothing seemed to me to be so hopeless now as the wretched prospect of being found here in the morning in the old surroundings, my old self again, and again bound to the old life. Was that really to happen? Were they not coming, my deliverers? It must assuredly be high time, but I didn't even dare to look. Yet, how is that possible? Was I, after all, the victim of some illusion, when I recognised Angulimala in that wanderer? Again and again I asked myself the question, but that I could not believe. And yet if it were he, he would be sure to come this night. He would certainly not have appeared at my house in his very clever disguise without a purpose, only to disappear again as though the earth had swallowed him, for I had caused inquiries to be made, and I knew that he had begged for arms nowhere else. The drowsy crowing of a young cock in the courtyard nearby woke me out of my brooding. The constellation that I sought I was now scarcely able to find, several of its stars having already sunk beneath the treetops. All the other groups, with the exception of those that stood highest in the heavens, had lost their clear twinkling. There was no long room for doubt. The grey dawn was already heralding its coming, and an attack by Angulimala was absolutely out of the question. But of all the strange things that I had experienced this night, the strangest came now. The recognition of my immunity was not accompanied by any feeling of disappointment, still less, however, of any relief because of the disappearance of all danger. But a new thought has suddenly arisen and possessed me utterly. What do I really need those robbers for? I had longed for their torches and pitch garlands to come and free me from the burden of this magnificent property. There are people, however, who of their own free will divest themselves of their possessions and lay hold of the wandering seeker's staff. As a bird, whithersoever it flies, flies bearing only its wings and is content with these, so also it is with the spiritual seeker. They are content with a robe to cover the body and with arms food to sustain health and life. And I have heard them say in praise of that life, The household life is crowded and dusty. Wide open, like the free air of heaven, is the life of one gone forth. I had called upon the swords of the robbers to kill this body, but if this body crumbles into dust, a new one is formed, and out from the old life goes forth a new one as its fruit. What type of life would go forth from mine? It's true that Varsity and I solemnly swore by yonder heavenly Ganga, whose silver waves feed the lotus ponds of the western paradise, that we would meet in those fields of the blessed. And with that vow there was formed, as she said, for each of us there in the crystal waters of the sacred sea, a life bud, a bud that would grow by every pure thought, every good deed, but at which everything low and unworthy in our lives would gnaw like a worm. Ah, I felt mine must have been gnawed utterly away long ago. I had looked back over my life, it had grown unworthy. Unworthiness would go forth from it. What would I have gained by such an exchange? But there are, as we know, people who before they leave this life destroy every possibility of rebirth on earth and who win the steadfast certainty of eternal bliss. And these are the very people who, forsaking everything, adopt the wandering seeker's life. What then could the burning torches of the robbers, what could their swords do for me? And I, who had at first trembled anxiously because of the robbers, and had afterwards longed impatiently for them as my one hope, now I neither feared them nor hoped for anything from them.
Freed alike from fear and hope, I felt a great calm. In this peace I assuredly experienced a foretaste of the joy which is theirs who have reached the spiritual seeker's goal. For as I stood in relationship to the robbers, so those seekers surely stand in relation to all the powers of this world. They neither fear them, nor do they hope for anything from them. They simply abide with them in serene and perfect peace. And I, who a mere twenty hours earlier had feared to start out on a short journey on account of the hardships and the meagre fare of the caravan life, I now decided, without fear or vacillation, to journey shelterless and on foot to the end of my days, content to take things as they came. Without once going back into the house, I went straight away to a shed, lying between the garden and the courtyard, where all kinds of tools were kept. There I took an ox-goad and cut the point of it, in order to use it as a staff. And I hung over my shoulder a gourd-bottle, such as the gardeners and field-workers carried. At the well in the courtyard I filled the gourd, upon which the house-steward approached me. Angulimala and his robbers will not come now, master, will they? No, Colita, they will not come now. But, master, are you going out already? Even so, Colita, I go, and of this very matter I desire to speak with you. For I go the way now that people call the way of the noblest birds of passage. From this way, however, Colita, there is no return for one who perseveres in it. No return to this world after death, how much less to this house during life. But the house I give into your care, for you have been faithful unto death. Administer the house and fortune until my son attains to manhood. Give my love to my father, my wives, my little girls and the boy, and farewell. After I had thus spoken and freed my hand from the good Colita, who covered it with kisses and tears, I walked towards the gate, and at the sight of the gatepost beside which the figure of the wanderer had stood, I thought, if its likeness to Angulimala was but a vision, then I certainly have read the vision right. Quickly, and without looking back, I went through the suburb with its gardens. Before me the desolate, far-reaching country road lay stretched out in the first grey shimmer of the dawn, as if it went on and ever on for all eternity. Thus, venerable one, did I adopt the life of homelessness. <laughs>